Thank you for having us. It is a real privilege to be here. Um, just delighted to be able to share with you today. Um, we had a lovely drive here through the Hampshire countryside, autumnal colours. Um, I don't think we saw anybody else on the way to church. It was amazing. Um, it's just really lovely to be with you. So thank you for having me. Um, just a little bit about uh, myself. As Dave said, I... As along with Joe, my wife, who is really sorry she can't be with you today. We work together and we lead the Winchester Vineyard Church. And we've been doing that for about seven years now. Um, we moved down to the area to do that from having 20 years in Birmingham before that. My background um, initially was as a musician and then as a primary school teacher. And then I worked on the staff of the vineyard. Well, I joined the Birmingham Vineyard when it was very small. Grew with it for about 20 years. We planted out loads of churches. Amazing journey, really. Um, saw God do some really brilliant things. And... Um, for most, about 12 years of that time, I was a children's pastor. Um, and, it, you know, it can be, it, I learned during that process that if you can't explain something to children, it's not worth explaining it. And that was just a fantastic way of explaining the Trinity. Um, I don't think I need any more education on the Trinity. It's, it's, it's there. Um, and I also just loved, I love the sense of family that you guys have here. It's just wonderful. So um, it's a real privilege to be here. Um, I also brought three people with me, Mark over here and also Dickie and Martina. Um, These guys are part of our um, prophetic team. That's a very grand title. Um, It it means that they try and um, hear what God is saying and share that with people. And it may be that they uh, get to do that either with you as a church or perhaps with one or two individuals. They're just practicing hearing the voice of God. Um, They've told me to say that they don't do credit cards or was it credit card numbers? Oh, lottery numbers. They don't do lottery numbers. Sorry, I got that wrong. They don't do lottery numbers. Anyway, um, but uh, so we just want to kind of bless you and encourage you and do whatever we can to encourage you today. And David has asked me to speak on the subject of be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, do you have my slides back there? Are you able to? Brilliant. Thank you. Um, obviously, it's... Uh, it, it, it kind of leads me... It's a great title. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. You could do multiple days of conferences on this subject. Um, So uh, we'll see where we go. But it it kind of takes me straight to Ephesians chapter 5. So if you have a Bible or you have a Bible on your phone, I do have the verses on the screen here so you don't have to look them up. But it's always good to check that what the preacher is saying comes from the Bible actually does come from the Bible. You know, and he's not just writing words on a page. But if you do have a Bible, I'd love us to start in that. um, I don't think my clicker's working. So can you just, if I say click, can you move it on for me? Is that all right? Brilliant. Thank you. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, which is a pretty well-known um, passage from the Bible where Paul is instructing the Ephesian church and says, um, and by the way, he says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. This is an instruction from Paul to the Ephesian church and actually to all of us. And the context that it's in, the rest of this passage, is um, helpful. It's very practical, but it doesn't really explain what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The instruction, and I'll, I'll come to that in a bit, there are some other passages in Ephesians that I'd like to come to in just a couple of minutes. But the instruction is clear, and it's something that I learned growing up in church, that being filled with the Spirit is very much part of the Christian life, even though, actually, if I'm honest, I learnt it, but I wasn't sure what it meant. 
as a, until much later in my life. You see, I grew up in a, um, a fairly traditional church, in a Baptist church, um, not, dis- not, uh, not very dissimilar to this. It was faithful, kind people. This is in the 70s I grew up. I went to Sunday school and I learned the Bible. I learned that, we've heard already, that God was my father and that Jesus was my friend, um, my saviour and my friend. But I did struggle to understand how it worked because in my young logic, I reasoned that, yes, God is my father, but the Bible says he's in heaven. Our Father in heaven. So he's not here, he's somewhere up there. Right? And then I learned that Jesus was my saviour, that he came to the earth, that he died on the cross for me. And then what happened? He went back to heaven. So I, tried, I couldn't get my head around this concept that actually also says Jesus is my friend and that God is with me. But how does that work when they're both not here, according to what I read in the Bible? Okay, they're up there somewhere. It says Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And I knew that I needed somebody, a God, a father, a friend, who could be with me. I can't, it's pretty hard to have a relationship with somebody who isn't present. You know, Mark is my friend, but if I don't see him, then we're not going to have much of a friendship. I mean, maybe we could talk on the phone or Skype or every now and then. But actually, being with someone in their presence is what makes relationships work. And so I was taught about the existence of the Holy Spirit, but I would say, looking back, that my faith growing up felt quite wordy and quite factual, rather than warm and fuzzy and relational. I don't know if anybody else can relate to what I'm talking about, but this is the kind of, this was the church context that I grew up in, and as a teenager in this environment, to be honest, I was looking for something a little bit more, and I became aware that there was some disagreement in the church at large over the Holy Spirit. Can you click on for me, please? Um, that essentially, churches would put themselves into one of two camps, okay? Either a word church or a spirit church. Now, what I mean by the word is they would focus on the Bible and on teaching and understanding and digging into the Bible. Brilliant stuff. Um, And then I realized that there was a camp of... I say camp, you know what I mean? There were people who reacted against that and went, oh no, that's all a bit too dry for us. We want to experience God for ourselves. We want to enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so they went to, to the other end of the spectrum and perhaps you could acute, perhaps you could, could be criticised for being a little bit emotional and a little bit sort of leaving your Bible and leaving your brain at the door and just kind of having a lovely, whoopy, charismatic, Pentecostal, warm and fuzzy time with the Holy Spirit. And I looked at these, I didn't get really, I didn't have the chance to. By the way, has anyone ever seen the Blues Brothers film? A bit like the scene in the Blues Brothers where James Brown is in charge of the church and the Holy Spirit comes and everyone goes a bit nuts. And I was kind of aware... I was kind of aware that, you know, you could be in a church that was kind of one end of the spectrum or the other end of the spectrum. In fact, most churches actually in history have defined themselves somewhere along that line. And I was kind of puzzling this out as a teenager, um, trying to figure out what, what it all meant and, and where I fit in. And then I encountered the teaching of a man called John Wimber. Can you click on for me, please? It was into the middle of all of this that this man, John Wimber, who was a Californian pastor and preacher, and this is just somebody I got involved with, I heard him speak. And what John did was he would teach the Bible absolutely He would teach the Bible, and he would talk it through, and he would dig into it and understand. And then he would close the Bible up, and he would pause, and he would say, now we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. And we're going to invite God to come and demonstrate the physical reality of what we've just been talking about. And that's what happened. And John would pray for the sick, and see incredible things happen. 
Now, John Wimber started life as a musician, so he ticked all my boxes straight away. And the kind of church that he led, the Vineyard Church, had a, at the time, fairly radical style of worship. It was, there was intimacy, um, and there was, there were just some things that, that, that really, really attracted me. Personally, it took quite a few more years before I became part of the vineyard for myself. But John's teaching on the Holy Spirit, it was a massive source of life and blessing to me, and I think to many, many other people. Um, and what John essentially taught, click on to the next slide for me, would you please, was, you see, you see the name of the book there, The Quest for the Radical Middle. If you put the next slide on, you can see that that, that title, The Quest for the Radical Middle, described what John was trying to do. He's trying to say, look, some churches define themselves by being a bit word-centric or very word-centric. Sorry. It's the other way around up there. Okay. Very word-centric. Okay. <laughs> um, some churches describe themselves as being very spirit-centric. Somewhere, so, some people will put themselves, you know, where it's on the line. And where John taught, and I 100% agree with this, that, that the, the word of God is so precious, and yet the spirit of God is also so precious. And so the radical middle for me was the place where you try and hold both of these values in tension. And that's where I've tried to live my life and try to lead the church that, that we lead in. The word and the spirit are both vital, and we need them both. You see, click on. For the Holy, in, in history, the Holy Spirit has been a bit of a mystery to the church. Usually, over the centuries, the Holy Spirit has either been ignored with a much greater concentration or emphasis on the Father and the Son and not the Spirit, or he's been misunderstood, thought of as an it, referred to as, the, for example, the Holy Ghost, rather than understood as a person of the Trinity. Or he's been resisted. It's been assumed that when the Holy Spirit's around, he just wants to take control. And yet that's not intended, that's not what it's about. And when the Holy Spirit, when properly understood and related to, the Holy Spirit can bring life, vitality, power and presence of God into every aspect of our lives and every part of our world. It's um, pretty hard to sustain a vibrant relationship with just head knowledge and not experience. I could tell you all about my wife, Joe. She's amazing. I'm sorry she's not here today. She's sorry she's not here today. She's preaching back at my church in, in, in um, Winchester. But uh, unless you meet her, all of the words that I tell you can't really express the essence. And it's pretty hard to have a relationship with somebody you've only just heard about, but you haven't actually met. And so the truth is that for me, the Holy Spirit's been in play in my life, throughout my life, in the up times, in the down times. I've had times when I felt incredible power and a real sense of peace. And I've just known that God is with me. And maybe you can identify with this. And then I've also had times when I haven't felt any of that. And yet I still know the truth that God is with me. And that's because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Constant presence. Some people think the Holy Spirit only kind of showed up at um, Pentecost. That you can't really see him in the Bible through the Old Testament the New Testament. But that's not true at all. Click on for me please. Um, you can see I'm not going to go through all these stories, but in the Old Testament, there are numerous examples of where the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters in creation, where he rested on different people for different tasks, and where he was promised as part of the new thing coming at the end of the Old Testament. Click on again. The Holy Spirit was present in and around the coming of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, all the characters in that story. You know, you think about Mary, and you think about um, the priests in the temple, and John the Baptist, and all of that. The Holy Spirit was present. And then the present, that as we've just heard from these beautiful uh, readings uh, read before us, the Holy Spirit was demonstrated powerfully 
at Jesus' baptism and through Jesus' life and ministry. And in fact, it was John the Baptist who said of Jesus, I am going to baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. And the word baptism, baptizo, it means to overwhelm, to plunge, to drench, to be completely immersed so John is saying that those who encounter Jesus will be overwhelmed or maybe, in Paul's language, filled up with the Spirit. When you meet with Jesus, there is something that happens whereby his Spirit comes and meets us too. And the Gospels tell us that Jesus himself was anointed for ministry. You know, he goes, after his baptism, we read that he goes out to the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit and that he returns from the wilderness to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And then, um, click on for me, when Jesus stands up in the synagogue... In his hometown, he quotes Isaiah 61 and he says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. This is in Luke 4, but it's a quote from Isaiah 1. He's a good news to the poor, proclaim freedom from the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. This was Jesus' manifesto. Got a bunch of people kind of turning up on our news at the minute with manifestos. This was Jesus' manifesto. This is what the kingdom of God is. This is what he's come to bring in. Radical teaching, miraculous healing, God's kingdom breaking out, power encounters, demons cast out, the dead raised. No wonder the crowds were following. Jesus, at the start of his ministry, says all of this is only going to happen because of the presence of the Spirit of God. The start of a movement. Jesus started a, a kingdom movement that would transform that nation and the whole world. And then at the end of his ministry, Jesus prophesies to the disciples that the Spirit of God, can you click on for me, is going to come on you and is going to empower you, the disciples, to do the same thing. He says, we all receive power in Acts 1 when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. It is worth asking the question, how was it that a small, sad, weak, fearful group of ex-disciples with a dead and missing leader or one even he's even though they've seen Jesus alive they're still not understanding because he came alive and then he's gone again how is it that that forgive me pathetic group of individuals became the group that would lead a kingdom movement that spread like wildfire and transformed the world and rewrote history and the answer is because they were filled with the holy spirit of god The Spirit empowered them, he made all the difference for them, and he does for us. So I don't know about you, but my first question today is, do you want to be part of a kingdom movement that spreads like wildfire, impacts the world, and rewrites the story of your community? Because I really do, otherwise I don't know really why I'm in this. You know, there's really no point in following Jesus if I don't want to make a difference. And I really want to be part of that story. I really want to see my town, my community change. I really want to see marriages that are broken, healed and restored. I really want to see um, people who are sick get well. I really want to see people who are suffering with mental illness get better. I want to see communities built. I want to see change and transformation. I want to see uh, the things of the kingdom of God happen. And the only way to do that is because, is the only way to do that for me is by being filled with the Holy Spirit. By being filled and filled and filled. So going back to Ephesians, I did say that 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 verse in 
chapter 5 didn't really explain it. There's a couple of other just short passages I want to look at in Ephesians. Um, the first one is in chapter 1, verse 13. In the opening of Ephesians, it's, if you ever need encouraging, by the way, just read the first few verses of Ephesians. I mean, Paul is kind of like, oh, by the way, and then I haven't got time to go into it now, but he just writes this beautiful, eloquent passage to encourage the believers in Ephesus about the spiritual, he calls it spiritual blessings. He talks about how they're adopted, they're redeemed, they're chosen, they're forgiven. And then he goes into here, this part of the, the text in chapter 1, verse 13. He says, when you believed, talking to the disciples, to the, the, the followers of Jesus in Ephesus, when you were believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession, to the praise of his glory. A a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. There's a little footnote in the ESV version. It says, or a down payment. It's a down payment on future inheritance. That's how Paul describes the Holy Spirit. You see, his encouragement to the believers there is he says, you know, when you choose to follow Jesus, it's a decision that has world-changing consequences. God's ultimate game plan is to bring his kingdom and restore his broken world. He's promised that he will make everything new. That there will be no more death and disease, no more wars, no more earthquakes, no more pain, no more disappointment. And when we give our yes to Jesus, not only are we signing up to be part of that, we're also signing up to be part of making it happen. And he says, the Holy Spirit says, you were, when you believed, you were marked in him with this seal. The Holy Spirit does two things. It seals and marks the work of God in us. It's sort of like God says, yeah, that one's mine. That one over there, he's mine, she's mine. You, you're mine. It's like sealing the work of God, okay? They've joined the kingdom movement now. But also, it's like a down payment, it's like a promise. You know, back in the day when I was um, single, um, all I ever really saved up for was musical instruments. And um, I didn't have a lot of money because I was a musician. Um, my wife, when, when I got engaged to my wife, Jo, which is coming up for 26 years ago now, we... we um, it was, she was amazed because the, it was the only thing I'd ever saved up for to get her an engagement ring that wasn't a musical instrument. But I remember the day that I got my new guitar and I remember, I remember the day that I went into the shop and I gave them £100 and said the guitar was like something like £450 at the time. Okay? And I didn't have £450 but I knew I could get it. And so I went in and I gave the shop £100 and said I want that one and that's my down payment. That's my guarantee that I'm coming back to buy this guitar. Don't sell it to anyone else. And then I went away and did a few more gigs and saved the money and came back and did it. Well, the Holy Spirit is like a down payment. That's what Paul says. He says, when we sign up to the work of the Spirit, we sign up to help bring his kingdom in. We sign up to be, in the words of Alan Scott, scattered servants. We sign up to make a difference in our families and our schools and our colleges and our workplaces and our communities. We do what we pray in the Lord's Prayer. We're asking God to bring his kingdom here on earth as in heaven. Okay, that's our prayer and that's our work. And I can see from your website and from chatting to um, Dave and Rowan and a few others here that, that that's something that you as a community are really engaged with, trying to make a difference in this place. That's what it's all about. And Paul teaches that it's the presence of the Holy Spirit that seals that and that guarantees that there's more coming. In the vineyard, we talk about this thing of the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. How we live in a place of tension between what we see now happening and what we would love to see happening, but we don't see it happening yet because it isn't all complete. 
You know, we see incredible encounters with God. We see the Holy Spirit moving. We prayed for some people in our church two weeks ago. One lady had a terrible, had had really bad vision. She'd had um, sort of clouds, floaty things in front of her eyes for years and years, and saw a massive measure of healing. Praise God! We see the Holy Spirit moving. And then sometimes we pray for people and it doesn't move as, as much as we, he doesn't move as much as we'd like. And that is the place of kingdom tension that we live in. There is frustration, there is disappointment, which shows that there's more to come. But the presence of the Holy Spirit here shows that God is on the move. And then the last passage I want to look at is in Ephesians 3. Um, and it's verses, verse 16, if you want to have a look at that. Can you click on There it is. It's a bit small on there, because there's a lot of it. Um, so you might want to look it up in your Bible. But it says, he says, because I still don't think I've really explained what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I don't think Paul does in chapter 5, but I think he kind of does here in chapter 3. He says, I pray, he's praying for the Ephesians again. He's done his business with them. He said the things he needs to say, corrected them and pastored them and taught them. Um, and then he's praying for them again. He says, I pray that out of his glorious inherit riches, he, that is the Father, may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So let's just pause there a minute. The Spirit is there to strengthen God's people in power, in their inner being, so that Christ will dwell in your inner being. Just as we've had explained to us earlier with these brilliant um, illustrations, these examples, the Spirit of Christ is the same as the Spirit of God. The reason that we can say Christ lives in us is because the Holy Spirit is present and lives in us. And that's what Paul's prayer is. He's saying, I'm praying that the Spirit strengthens you so that Christ dwells in you. And continuing in verse 17, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. As an aside, you mentioned that song, Great Big God. Now, I was a kid's pastor for many years, and I used to know this song, which went, My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. The, the, you know, the, the, the rivers are his, and the, everything's high. And the day that I sat, and I, I was trying to write a few songs, and I'd written a few for our kids in the church that I was, I was leading. Um, and uh, the day that I came up with the idea for Great Big God, I just knew that what I was trying to do was update that old song. You know, that my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. And so I wrote, our God is a great big God, etc., uh, etc. Et uh, the, 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 the first version of it went, he's higher than the mountains and he's deeper than the seas. He's wider than the planets and he still loves you and me. And I took it home and I played it to my wife. And ever encouraging, she said, yeah, that's great, but actually I think you need to update the metaphors. And I was like, no, 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 I'm sure that's not right. And she said, no, no, I think you need something a bit more modern. Why don't you say he's higher than a skyscraper and he's deeper than a submarine, okay? And he's wider than the universe. And I said, that will never work. <laughs> and she said, no, no, no. she said, I really, th- I really think you should think about that. And I said, I really don't think that will work. But because I love you, I will think about it. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go and play it to a few of my friends, people who are trusted and respected. And I played them both versions. I said, which do you, without telling them, you know, whatever. I said, which do you think is the best? And they all went, definitely the skyscrapers and the submarines is what you should do. I was like, okay. So I went back to Joe and said, you're right. You were right. I was wrong. It works. Um, <laughs> I wasn't going to talk about that, but as you mentioned it. But it, but it is in this passage, how high, how wide, how deep, just trying to get, even just get a handle on the enormity of God's love. 
And Paul's prayer is that the Ephesian Christians would be strengthened by the Spirit's power in their inner being so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. He's saying that Jesus is in you because the Spirit's in you, okay? And that the essence of what that is, what that actually means, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit is in you, that you are filled? He says, it's love. He said, I pray that you will be rooted and established in love. Then he goes on to describe some of that, the undescribable aspects of that love, so that you will know how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you, and this, this is the key sentence, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. So being filled with the Spirit is the same as saying, I'm filled with the fullness of God, which is the same as saying, I'm filled with God's love. Which is the same as saying, how can you even describe the love of God? It's so high, it's so wide, it's so deep, you can't even get your head around it. But the prayer is that that's what I'm filled with. So when I say, be filled with the Spirit, when I say, oh, Holy Spirit, come and fill me up, what am I really saying? I'm saying, I need to know and connect with and be filled with and be baptised in or consumed by or completely overwhelmed by the love of God. Which is in itself hard to get your head around because it's so big that nobody can really get their heads around it anyway. If we choose to live our lives as disciples of Jesus, then love will characterise us. God's incredible love that we experience for ourselves and then that we express and show and live out in the community that we live in and the world that we live in. How many of you know someone who desperately needs to know the love of God in their life. I mean, I know loads of people like that. You know? I know loads of people like that. And Paul is, he, he can't even describe it, how high, how wide, how deep, you can't get your head around it. All this talk of being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's the same as being filled with the fullness of Christ, it's the same as being filled with the love of God. They're all one and the same. Do you want to be more like Jesus? Because I really do. And I can be more like Jesus by being filled with his character and his presence and his love. And so just to complete the circle, next slide please, that's what it, Paul means when he says be filled with the Spirit. Back to that first verse in Ephesians. He says be filled with the Spirit and the command in Greek is what you call a present imperative tense. Okay? I'm not a Greek scholar but I know this on good authority. Okay? He is not describing a one-time filling. He is describing a state of being filled. It's a regular pattern of life. The command from Paul is not simply, be filled with the Spirit, job done. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, be filled and go on being filled. Go on being filled. And as John Wimber said, I don't know about you, but I tend to leak. I can get filled with the Spirit on a Sunday and I can hit work on Monday morning and all of a sudden I don't feel very full of the Holy Spirit at all. And it's all leaked out. That's what it feels like. We go to work, work the next day. And so two final thoughts around the Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, and again, you could preach conferences on all of this. But when we are filled with the Spirit, two things to me happen biblically. One thing is fruit and the other thing is gifts. Okay? The fruit of the Spirit, next slide please, the fruit of the Spirit we all know about. You might, you've probably read, read this in the Bible. It sounds 
dramatic when we say be filled with the Spirit. But to my mind, you can see someone maybe having a dramatic encounter with God. Maybe, you know, back in the day I used to go to the odd meeting where people would shake and they would fall over. And sometimes they still do. And at the time, I remember thinking, oh, I wish I would shake and fall over. I wish I would experience and encounter God's power like that. I mean, you know, it, it stands to reason. If, you, if I went and plugged my fingers into that socket over there, I would shake and fall over as well. When, when power, I'm not advising that, by the way. I'm just saying, when power comes on you, sometimes strange things happen. But that never happened to me, and I learned very quickly. Not as quickly as I'd like, but I learned growing up that actually it's not the manifestations anyway, it's the fruit If God's spirit is at work in someone's life, then you will see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, as a pastor, I've learned to look for the fruit in people's lives. And I learned as well something else that Alan Scott said. Transformation can be dramatic, but it's usually incremental. It can be dramatic, and we pray for those dramatic encounters, and we love them and celebrate them when they happen. But most transformation and growth comes by, one step at a time, the fruit of the Spirit being enacted in someone's life because they've practiced the presence of God. Because they've just sat in the day, maybe once, maybe twice, maybe several times a day, and just invited the Holy Spirit to come, the love of Jesus to come and fill our hearts again. And for me, I'm learning, I've just had my 50th birthday, and I'm learning that the most profound thing I can do for the rest of my life is make sure that I'm shutting everything else off, switching off my connectivity, and just trying to allow the presence of God, the love of Jesus, to come and be with me. And if I do that enough, the fruit of the Spirit will be evident in my life. So that's fruit. Actually, I have some questions for you. Just, Just pause a moment, just put the next slide on for me. And there's a question that you might want to think about here. How can we be filled with the Spirit more? In fact, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit just to speak to each of us as we pause and reflect on this. How can we be filled with the Spirit more? What does practicing the presence of God look like for us? There are tons of ways to do that. And what fruit would we like to see growing in our lives? And Holy Spirit, would you just speak to us? What I suggest you do is just allow that state, of the, just, just be open to what the Spirit wants to say. And just read through the question carefully and just see what comes to mind. Don't make a big deal out of it. Don't try and force anything. But just see if the Spirit wants to prompt you in any way over one of those questions. It might be a different thing for all sorts of different people. How can I be filled with the Spirit more? What does it mean to practice the presence of God in my life? And what fruit would I like to see growing? Holy Spirit, speak to us, I pray. And even as we're just reflecting and pausing, I know that God's Holy Spirit is at work. So if you feel like God gives you something, if you feel like he gives you a nudge, I would always advise us to write it down. Maybe grab a note on your phone or something and just make a note so that we don't let that escape. And the last little part I want to talk about is this. I talked about fruit. 
And the last part is about gifts. Because not only does the Holy Spirit help us to grow like Jesus, he helps us to do the things of Jesus. On our, uh, in our church, we have a little vision statement. Uh, you have something very similar on the front of your website. Ours says, at Winchester Vineyard, we're trying to, to, to become more like Jesus, get to know Jesus better, and uh, bring his hope and life to our communities. I know that your vision statement says something very similar to that. And those two aspects are what we're called to do, to be with Jesus more so that we get to be like him more, and then to do the things that he does. And the Holy Spirit helps us to grow fruit in our lives with his presence, and he also enables and empowers, empowers believers to enact the works of the kingdom. And in the vineyard, we have a shorthand for this, and we call it doing the stuff. And it comes from a story that John Wimber told about when he went to the church that he was, was converted in. And he said, he said, he went up to them, he said, the bar, he said excuse me, I have a question. He said, been there a few weeks, so when do we get to do the stuff? And they said, what stuff? And he said, the stuff that's in the book. He said, what stuff? He said, I'm talking about the things that are in the Bible. You know, the praying for the sick and the casting out demons and, and the, the raising the dead uh, and, and, and speaking in tongues. When do we get to do the stuff? And the response to him at the time was, we don't do the stuff, we just read about it. And Wimber said, well, that's no good, is it? I want to be part of a church that does the stuff. And by doing the stuff, we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And so, click on for me, for me. Um, to each, Paul teaches about the gifts of the Spirit. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And there's been a, a sort of a bit of a mistake um, in the church over the years where people think that the gifts of the Spirit that Paul teaches about, and he teaches about it in various places, Corinthians is one, and Romans um, is another, and Ephesians is another. Uh, and people think that that's somehow, that if you have a gift of the Spirit, that it's a badge that you wear, like a medal for long service, or, or like a special thing that says, I'm more special than you because I have the gift of tongues and you don't. And that's bobbins, Okay. That's rubbish. Um, next slide for me. Paul says there are all these gifts, and some of them are intensely supernatural, and some of them are very practical. And he doesn't seem to draw a distinction either. And I'm not going to get into all of this now. You can read this up for yourself um, at a later stage if you like. Um, but the gifts are given for the benefit of the receiver, not for the benefit. There's a blessing in in being part of the Holy Spirit's work. There's a blessing in sharing a prophetic word with somebody. There's a blessing in praying for somebody to get healed. But it's not about you, it's about them. It's about what God wants to do through them. And something that I've learned over the years, and we used to do this with our kids as well, we used to call it drain piping. We'd say, how we're going to pray for you is we're going to put one hand on you, and we're going to raise one hand up to God, because this is about what God wants to do through us to you. And that's what the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit are about. So imagine, I like to think of this more as a toolkit. Any plumbers in the room or sparkies or engineers? You probably carry a toolkit when you go to a job, don't you? Right? Um, I think of it, of the gifts of the Spirit, like a toolkit. Anybody can use any tool for any job that needs doing. Now, there are some people who might be more practiced. That's fine. But, you know, I can't, if I go out tomorrow and I meet my friend for coffee and they say I've got a really bad back and I go, oh, I really should pray for you, but I don't have the gift of healing. Um, I need to go and find the person who has the gift of healing to do that. That's not going to work, is it? I take out my healing tool and I go, I'm going to pray for this person's back. And sometimes God comes, always God comes, sometimes healing comes. And I pray for somebody, always the Spirit shows up. Sometimes we're not aware of it. Sometimes he does different things. Always he shows up. And it's the same. Those gifts are like, you know, Paul says, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Get good at practicing them, but they are there for everyone to use. And so one more set of questions just to reflect on as we close. 
And that's this. What dreams do you have for the people and the communities around you? And is there a spiritual gift that you feel that you would like to grow in? And is there anything that's holding us back? And again, why don't we close our eyes or just have a look at the screen and read through those carefully. And I'm just going to invite God's Holy Spirit to come and to speak to us. Spirit, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. You lead us to the Father and you lead us to Jesus. And we love you. And we want to fully embrace your work and your relationship with us and your presence in our lives. And we want to fully embrace your presence in this church and in our community. And we want to fully embrace your presence in each of our lives. So come speak to us, we pray. Come speak to us, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your presence here. We welcome you and we love you. And there's going to be a bit of time just to reflect on what I've spoken about. I think the musicians are going to come and play. You're going to come and play some, lead us in a little bit more worship. And uh, I'd love for the 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 team that came with me just to have an opportunity just to share anything that they feel that the Lord might be giving them by way of encouragement but it may be that God's already spoken to you through one of these things and my encouragement to you would be to make a note write it down it's all very well hearing God in a moment and then wandering off into the rest of our lives why don't we just we've got a few minutes before we have to pick our kids up some of us why don't we just in this moment embrace what God wants to do kind of give him our yes again. Why don't you guys lead us? That'd be great.